Our gospel reading is Luke 2, 1 to 18. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, uh, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in his clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest in heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom he favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the, the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word, the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who had it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A member of our congregation told me that uh, he'd watched one of the big carol concerts on TV, and uh, I can't remember which one it was. I don't know whether there's a big sort of national carol concert or, or something. I don't know. Anyway, he watched it, and he expressed with sadness that there was no real mention of Jesus. Now, I couldn't find that particular uh, carol concert online, but I found other carol concerts advertised, and they said things like, uh, all your favorite carols, including Jingle Bells, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and We Wish You a Merry Christmas. My family and I, we love to uh, walk around or drive around looking at the Christmas lights, and they're great. Uh, some of the displays are really elaborate, um, but very few point to Jesus in any way at all. I mean, you might find the occasional star, but that's about it. And when I walk around the shops, all I can hear is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. And I'm pretty sure she's not singing about Jesus. Uh, believe it or not, it could be worse. If you were in the UK, you'd have uh, Slade's Merry Xmas, everyone. Uh, that uh, 1973 uh, classic, 50 years old, and it's still uh, going strong. Uh, Merry Xmas, everybody. We hear that a lot, don't we? Xmas. What is that? Xmas. We're not celebrating the birth of X. 
we're celebrating the birth of Christ. Huge amount of effort goes into Christmas. But as a nation, we seem to have forgotten what it is that we're actually celebrating. Well, today here at St. Andrews, we're celebrating God with us and God for us. Firstly, God with us. In the Greco-Roman world, in the first century, uh, people worshipped lots of gods, with the notable exception of the Jews, who worshipped only one god. Uh, The Greeks and the Romans had pretty much the same gods, uh, just with different names. So for the Greeks, it was Cronus, for the Romans, Saturn. Uh, For the Greeks, Zeus, for the Romans, Jupiter. For the Greeks, Poseidon, for the Romans, Neptune, and so on. Same gods, different names. And supposedly, these gods could look favorably on human beings. But they could also be capricious, vindictive, cruel, spiteful, and prone to fits of rage. So people wanted the gods to be for them, but it's very difficult to imagine that they would have wanted the gods to be with them. Most families have uh, that uncle who is particularly difficult to get on with. Uh, It could be that you only see this person once a year at Christmas. I'm I'm sure there's uh, lots of uncles here today. You won't be that uncle. It's bound to be someone else. Anyway, if you think it's difficult being in the company of that uncle, let me assure you that Zeus, if he existed, would make the most difficult, demanding, and terrifying dinner guest that it's possible to imagine. Well, the good news is that the one true God of the Bible is nothing like the invented gods of the ancient world. And he's come to be with us not just for a brief visit at Christmas time, but forever. And if we look at this narrative of how God came into the world, everything is backwards. No one could have anticipated it happening this way. In one sense, it's incredibly ordinary, but at the same time, it's extraordinary beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, if we read verses 1 to 8, almost half this passage, there's nothing particularly unusual there. So Caesar issued a decree. Uh, Everyone had to return to their place of origin, their place of birth, uh, to register. Um, So there's a lot of movement around the Roman Empire and uh, in amongst these great events of of the empire, Luke, he zooms in on one particular couple, Mary and Joseph. They were pledged to be married, uh, but they weren't married yet and Mary was pregnant uh, and in that culture uh, they would have faced a lot of stigma in Nazareth where they were from. They made this journey of uh, about 150 kilometers on foot. They arrive in Bethlehem, and there was no guest room available for them. And we're used to seeing that word uh, guest room translated in. And so we kind of uh, imagine a first century equivalent of the Holiday Inn. Um, But guest room is a better translation. Uh, Joseph was from Bethlehem. That's where his... uh, Uh, lineage came from. He almost certainly had relatives there, Um, but they didn't have any room in the upper part of the house where people would normally live. So houses were on two stories and everyone would live uh, 
in the upper part of the house. Uh, so Mary and Joseph got bedded down in the lower part, and that, that, that area could have been used for storage, uh, is a place where animals would have been brought in uh, during the winter months. Um, it could have been used as a workshop, all kinds of things. Uh, actually, a lot like uh, our Queenslanders, maybe not to look at, but in terms of the format. You know, the, uh, the people live upstairs and downstairs is used for all sorts of things. So they, there was no room upstairs. They got put beneath the house where they would have had a bit more privacy as well. And that's where Mary gave birth. And the most convenient thing that they could find as a cot was a manger, an animal's feeding trough. And then, of course, verse 8 tells us that a group of shepherds were tending their flocks on the hillside uh, just outside of Bethlehem. So there's nothing very unusual about any of that. Nobody could have imagined God becoming man. And even if they could have thought in that way, certainly no one in the Roman world, no one in the, the Gentile, the pagan world, could have imagined Zeus or Apollo making an appearance in such a mundane fashion. But from the outset, this narrative tells us something about the character of God. Not only did he become one of us, but he was born to a very ordinary couple in the humblest of circumstances. No red carpet, no palace. He didn't come to us as a fully grown man, but as a vulnerable baby, which he had to do in order to be fully human. We can't read this without reaching the conclusion that God is humble. Again, in the ancient world, humility wasn't seen as a virtue. It was considered a weakness. And even though humility as a virtue is there in the Old Testament, it was probably Jesus' humility that prevented a lot of people from recognizing God even when they met him face to face. We worship a God who walked among us, who knows what it is to be fully human, who has experienced joy, excitement, surprise and laughter, as well as doubt, fear, temptation and pain. We worship a God who is not aloof and distant, but one who understands us and one who identifies with us in our joys and our sorrows. God is love, and in Jesus we see love personified. Even the smallest glimpse of God's character is enough to tell us that God with us is very good news. Jesus walked among us. He remains with us by the Holy Spirit, and he will return to be with us forever. So the first half of this passage... Uh, as I said before, it's quite ordinary. The second half is extraordinary. Verse 8, introduce a group of ordinary shepherds. And verse 9 says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Uh, last night we had our nativity, and we had um, uh, th uh, four angels. They all look very cute. Uh, but in the Bible, angels are not cute. Uh, they're depicted as these mighty warriors and messengers of God. In fact, everyone in the New Testament who encounters an angel is understandably terrified. And this angel appears to a group of shepherds. 
group of shepherds on the hillside. In first century Jewish culture, shepherds were treated with the utmost suspicion. They were rough and coarse. Uh, they missed out on public worship because they were uh, up on the uh, hillside. Um, people shunned them. They were looked down upon. They were considered among the lowest members of society. If Jesus came for the first time today, the announcement might be made at a homeless shelter or a refugee camp or even a prison. Because Jesus didn't come for the well-to-do, the rich, the famous, the pious, or the religious. He came for everyone. He came for everyone who is willing to put their hope and their faith in him. And here's what the angel said, verse 10. He said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel described Jesus with three words in one sentence there. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Savior. Jesus came to save us from sin and death. If you had to pick two symbols that represent Jesus' birth, what would they be? If you had to think of two symbols, I think for most of us we'd probably say a star and a manger. And if we were to pick two symbols to represent Jesus' death, it would surely have to be a cross and an empty tomb. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is so for us that he died in our place so that we can receive God's forgiveness and he made a way through death to everlasting life so that we might live forever with him. Forgiveness and eternal life is available to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. No one who genuinely turns to Christ will be turned away. Jesus is a saviour who has enacted the ultimate rescue. He's also the Messiah, the anointed one from the line of King David, the one whom the prophet spoke about. And he will rule over the whole of creation, not temporarily, but forever. Finally, Jesus is Lord, as we've seen over the past month and today. Jesus was and is God. He has authority over the whole of creation. So in Jesus, we have the ultimate rescue, the ultimate rule, and the ultimate authority. Of course, the birth of Jesus is good news. Of course, it should bring us joy. The God of the universe has come to save us, and he has the power and the authority to do so. If God was like the gods of the Greco-Roman world, we wouldn't want him to be with us. And today, many people reject God because they don't know what he's like. Occasionally, someone will tell me that they don't believe in God. And when I ask them to describe the God that they don't believe in, well, I don't believe in that God either. Jesus himself said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. That is what God is like. He is gentle and humble. He loves us. He's for us. 
and he wants us to find peace and rest in him forever. That is the wonderful news that the angels proclaimed to those shepherds on the hillside. Christmas is an immensely joyful reminder of all that God has done for us. Yet so many people don't look any further than the lights, the tinsel, the wrapping paper, Santa Claus, jingle bells, eating and drinking, spending time with family, including that uncle. In short, people seem to be satisfied with a Christless Christmas. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this about life in general, but I think it especially applies to Christmas. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That approach to life, namely being satisfied with so much less than is on offer, becomes all too apparent at Christmas. We like to do things that make us feel Christmassy, and those things can bring us some fleeting joy, but if we're not careful, we will miss the whole point of Christmas. I'm afraid to say if we miss the point of Christmas, we're missing the whole point of life, because all true life flows from Jesus Christ. Christmas reminds us, it assures us, that God is with us, and God is for us. There can be no better news than that. And that reality brings us great joy, not just for a few days, but forever. And if you're unsure where you stand with all this, do as the shepherds did. They heard the good news and they went to investigate. And I would encourage you, read the Gospel of Luke that we, uh, we had our reading from Luke today. It doesn't take very long. You could probably read it in an hour and a half. Read the Gospel of Luke from cover to cover. I'm often so surprised at how many adults haven't so much as read uh, a single one of the Gospels uh, right the way through. And when you read it, ask God to make himself known to you. That's one of the first prayers I ever prayed. My mum recommended it to me. She said, just, just say, God, if you're there, then I want to know you. If you're there, make yourself known to me. And I prayed that prayer, and he did. So I recommend, read the Gospel of Luke and say to the Lord, make yourself known to me. I have every confidence that he will do. May you know the peace and joy of Christ this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love Christmas, and there's so many joyful and exciting aspects of this wonderful season. But Father, we pray that we won't miss what is at the very heart of all this, that God became man in order to bring us into relationship with God. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for this reality. We pray that you impress it on our hearts and minds that we will hold Christ right at the center of everything that goes on today, and not just today at Christmas, but our whole lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.